out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. And good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. Today we'll talk about where the wild things are, but perhaps not in the way one might expect. There is wildness all around us in very surprising ways, from that which is obvious, like the coyote at your kitchen door, or the bear that broke into your car last night, but also in the smaller, more unseen aspects that we live in and around every day, the bits we take for granted like the tree along the downtown city streets, the grassy medians and hills between and around our divided highways and urban areas, those green spaces or open spaces we want to live near and fight to protect from development. Those open spaces not only provide serenity for us, they provide a world of life for those beings that are not us. They are, in fact, wild spaces, And wildlife lives there, right in front of us, right next to us, all day, every day, all the time. We don't, we don't always need to go very far to find the wilderness amongst us. When we engage in nature, the wild parts of our urban areas or the wilderness through travel, work, or vacation, it's a good practice to prepare for the inevitable crossing of the line from the urban mentality into the heightened awareness where the wild things are and where survival adrenaline is just a heartbeat away. Animals, habitats, and ecosystems, and this does include our urban areas. How we choose to behave and live our lives in all of these areas habit or habitats has a dramatic effect on how wildness, wilderness, and wildlife thrive, whether we are engaging or recreating in it or not. We used to inherently know how to behave when out of our urban elements or comfort zones and in direct contact with wilderness, whether it be the trail through the city park or a recreation area or way off in the bush. But somehow today, foolishness and foolhardiness seem often to take over when preparedness and attention will bring about a much healthier, happier, wiser, and safer relationship between us, people to people, people to wildness, and people to wildlife. 
like being prepared to face our daily work-a-day world. When we enter any park, wildlife zone, or recreation area, we are advised to be prepared, either either via being provided with a variety of printed materials from the Forest Service, the Park Service, or the Internet, And knowing this information is important to understand how to behave outside of our urban social networks. Knowing this information will ultimately also have an impact on the area you visit. The footprints we leave behind, as it were. Are we going to leave really big ones upon the environment and its wild inhabitants? Or will we tread softly? There is an etiquette as to how to interact when we are out of doors, mingling with others of our own kind and the non-human inhabitants. As the saying goes, take only pictures, leave only footprints. I would add to that, though, and leave those footprints where they will not interfere with the neighborhoods you are visiting. We would consider this polite etiquette when visiting a friend or another culture. Thus, we should give the same consideration to the earth beneath our feet and the communities that depend upon it for survival as much as we do. We are each responsible for understanding what the rules are and how to have a safe encounter with both the wildlife and the features of the the landscapes we have chosen to recreate in, hike in, swim in, or simply have a picnic in and enjoy. This is critical information, and I've often noticed that it is deliberately ignored. Because if visitors are aware of it, then we wouldn't hear of the foolishness that abounds when you get urban folks in wilderness. It is not difficult to understand the statements, do not approach wildlife, do not feed wildlife, and do not walk outside of the designated areas or pathways, and let someone know where you're going and take precautions to provide for your security in the case of an unexpected encounter or misadventure. Perhaps that's the key. Perhaps we simply no longer expect to have a wild encounter. And when it happens on our hike or in our backyard, we no longer really quite know what to do or how to respond, whether it's an emergency and we're out of cell range or an accident or an encounter with wildlife. We simply seem to have forgotten that these neighbors live and abound around us. I can't begin to tell you of how many footprints of the human mammal I have seen through my travels where there shouldn't be any. We hear the numerous tales of woe on the news and on the net of people who thought the rules weren't for them or were so excited and caught up in the moment they simply forgot that not all things are expecting us to arrive into their day. We can find in books, on the news, and on the net a laundry list of the silly things that people do when confronted with raw nature and the sad truth that by not paying attention to the natural laws and some outright common sense, we can easily cause ourselves others and ourselves and others with us or nearby us grievous harm and yes, even death. There is a font of excellent information in a variety of forms, from novels to newspapers to even reality TV, that reminds us that nature is not bounded by us. It doesn't care about us, and that when we unfold ourselves over into its arms, it not only bites us, but can easily devour us. And the other side of this coin is that when we enter nature, we often, without knowing or understanding, simply by our presence, have begun the decline and the devouring of wilderness. 
Signs and postings are there not only to prevent us from putting ourselves into harm's way by getting too close to wildlife or other natural features, but also to protect the landscape from us. But we humans are foolhardy and we either just don't pay attention or we are today seeking some extraordinary thrill that we seem to be lacking in our everyday urban lifestyle. Wildlife, though it seems docile, are wild and thus act like wild animals when they feel a threat, whether or not we think we have threatened them or not. Because this thrill seems mostly lacking in our everyday lives as we live them in our culture today, we now go often go to extremes to shake that adrenaline loose, that essence of peak performance that we used to have on a daily basis as we had to provide for ourselves from the wild world around us. Alas, now we have mega grocery stores where we serenely hunt through the aisles to find our food and the TV to fulfill our thrill-seeking or participate in extreme sports. While I was in Yellowstone just a, a couple of weeks ago, upon arriving back to the parking lot after a trail walk, there were two huge bull elk having it out in the parking lot. Add to that mix a hundred or so tourists on foot milling around with their cameras following and edging the elk to get photos, but not really aware of where they were in relation to that animal, as their eyes were glued to the viewfinder in the virtual world rather than on the real world, the one that contained living, breathing, wild bull elk. The natural thing happened. The people, the bull elk came at a charge, the people screamed and scattered like marbles, and some even fell when the elk charged them for just being that bit too close. Even though we have all the abilities to understand danger, danger and our minds are capable of a snap, fight, or flight decision, it seems that oft times when we are surrounded by all our human trappings, the cars, RVs, the restrooms, and the waste bins, we forget that this is not what wildlife is concerned about. And that despite all this human activity, this environment, uh, especially in the case of the uh, ex uh, adventure I just explained in Yellowstone, this environment totally belonged to the elk. The wild and wilderness and out of doors environment totally belongs to the wild beings we live with. We are there as interlopers, as the wild beings stroll by our restrooms, our stores, uh, peruse our alleyways and our garbage cans, and often we just narrowly miss uh, an encounter with something wild. In the case of this elk, as the elk climbed down the very narrow and steep trail, which there were about 100 or 200 people down there at the viewing point, I was uh, trying to imagine what would happen as all those tourists came up on the trail with no place to go and absolutely no idea that that elk was coming toward them. And due to the nature of the trail, they really would have no place to go. A thousand foot drop on one side down to the Yellowstone River and a steep rise of lodgepole pine forest on the other. The elk knew this territory like the back of his rack. The people, however, do not. I can only imagine the surprise for the folks that were coming back up to that parking lot. Reminds me of that old Clint Eastwood flick. Do you feel lucky? 
Another instance at the Grizzly Discovery Center in West Yellowstone with a nonprofit arm between the U.S. Forest Service and the U.S. National Park Service collaboration, there is a research and rescue center uh, including habitats for two wolf packs and uh, I think 12 grizzly bears rescued from a variety of fates, uh, usually caused by human intervention. There is another more human involved and very interesting display there. That of the testing area for bear-proof containers. Of the 15 or so, quote-unquote, registered containers, that means those approved for an encounter with a bear, and other camping coolers that one would consider to be bear-proof, there was only one that withstood the strength and claws of the grizzly, from double-insulated lockbox thermal coolers to metal locking bins, all showed dents, some rending, tearing, bending, and almost in half along cracks, and the deep holes from the four-inch claws. So it's something to think about. What much of my journeys and work with wildlife has taught me, that in our perceived security of our human trappings, is how much the modern urbanized human underestimates nature, and especially wildlife, carnivorous or omnivorous. We seem to think that our species is smarter than them all, or it won't happen to me mentality that is in the forefront of our minds. We simply forget because of the ease and insulation for which we have made our lives and our living conditions that provide for us today. Well, take one look at these uh, trash containers and you'll see that nature has equipped life, non-human life, with most of the tools they require to survive. And many of those tools are a lot more... Uh, advanced than ours and run by a brain that is triggered immediately by fight or flight, security, threats, fear, and panic. With our big brains, we've been able to reason out a different kind of response to these situations. But with wildlife, it's a very different thing. So, it looks like we're headed into a break. If you'd like to call in and join in this discussion or have a comment or a question, please call in to 1-866-472-5788 or send me an email at wildize at wildeyes.org. I always enjoy hearing from our listeners, so stay tuned and we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. 
In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. Today we're talking about where the wild things are and the things um, that we do that have an impact on the world around us. So this brings us rather naturally into another kind of nature, human nature, which we have both simplified yet complicated for the world around us. On one hand, human lives have have improved by quantum leaps through discovery, invention, use of fossil fuels, petrochemicals, plastics, biofuels, computers, and next-generation smart appliances, and even the ability to dream of alternative fuels and a future, all these advances have come from leaps in scientific understandings of nature, breaking nature down into its nanoparts, recreating it or synthesizing, and even cloning it. But where is all this taking us? Isn't it, in fact, breaking down our planetary systems and destroying the very forms and functions from which they came? How are we, as individuals, going to solve this quandary? How are we each willing to take part in in shifting our daily, weekly, annual, centennial rationale for not altering our lifestyles today? Overpopulation, dependence on current fuels for rather frivolous pastimes. When we learned there is a limited supply of something, there are three ways to respond. Use it sparingly and find practical alternatives. Prioritize and dole it out over the longest term while making other plans that do not end you up in the same situation, otherwise known as not solving problems with the same thinking that created them, which is a comment by Einstein. Or, lastly, use it all up in thinking that it's just not your problem and presume that someone else will surely figure it out. You can see this thinking played out in several ways. The contemporary thrillers out of Hollywood, novels, biographies, anthologies, and of course, fast-based silence, science, excuse me, anthropology and archaeology. One of the best known is and popularly played out is uh, by Jared Diamond in Guns, Germs and Steel and his novel Collapse, uh, either the book or the films. Look at any past society, revisit Western civilization classes from your high school and college days, and even modern contemporary history, and know that we always ended, we always ended our cultures and societies over resource wars, regardless of the societal paths that got us to that point, and then at that point of collapse. If this hasn't convinced you, then you're not paying attention. 
Another phrase we'll often hear as denial is in full swing is when new facts of imminent disaster or global challenge are presented along with what or how it has to do with us humans. The comment is, I don't believe that. Well, excuse me, but science is not religion. It is not based upon a system of beliefs. It is based upon a system of proven and played out facts. Granted, facts and theories and parameters and results may vary over the scale of time and as we learn more. But thus is it, it is science and that is the study of variables. Add this, subtract that, put them all together and eventually we have a plausible, if not working, theory of how everything works. Peer-reviewed, published, long-term studies that, provo- that provide and proved out or proved wrong, a hunch, a sense that this thing makes that thing happen. As we have begun to learn so much through our ability to create technology that helps us understand and perhaps even brings us to the ultimate goal of a scientific theory of everything, we must also not forget that we are a part of that everything and that wildness, animals, and our planet is whole and complete whether we figure it out or not. And perhaps that in the end, that will be the point of it all, that we don't need to take it all apart lose so much to know that it's all worth saving and protecting simply because it is creation and evolution. These concepts are not mutually exclusive. They are complementary, and that is worth both believing spiritually and is proven in fact based and uh, perhaps the next step of the evolved human will be to simply accept this, that we are capable of becoming beings that know many aspects and combine spirit, science, and nature, and the human quest for enlightenment will weigh out over the tribalistic human attributes of the quest for power, greed, and financial gain above all else. I am always thrilled to see visitors from around our world visiting all the amazing places around our world, the national parks and heritage sites, and many of the most beautiful open and wild spaces on earth. But I also feel in today's world of instant access, wildlife TV, always wired in on 3G, 4G, the smart tablet, phone, or digital camera, that we may be missing out on the best aspect of anything that wilderness has to offer. It's peace. It's quiet. It's serenity. It's ability to help restore ourselves and its ability to function complete and whole without us. It's place in the overall scheme of things, sacred in one form or another, of that inherent historical and biological connection to the universe, the laws of life, and that which is the architect of our very souls, our very lives, and our very survival for the future. Where we came from, how we survived the evolutionary and even more recent human-induced hardships to have created what many misguidedly consider as a better world. Have we? And how should we define what a better world is? I think that is the big question we are facing today and is uh, the cause for many of the dilemmas that we are facing. Have we really created a better world, or have we destroyed, or are we destroying and annihilating and worsening what was the best of all worlds to begin with? If you're over 50, you can't help but notice our world has changed. 
If you're under 50, you certainly benefit from a lifestyle made easier for us all by clever-minded use of resources called inventions, results of centuries of discoveries of science and fact, but it is also consistently pointed out to anyone interested to know there we have, that we have only touched the tip of the iceberg of what there is yet to be known, learned, discovered about how our Earth systems work, the ecosystems function, and how they are an interconnected, integrated whole between the flora, fauna, and us, human beings. Science and research and technology have brought us the smartphone, computers, and the teletronic babysitter, though this is participation in the virtual world. Somehow, our social interactions of being face-to-face are being lost as our preteen youth roll their eyes at the mention of a car trip to the Grand Canyon in favor of being Wi-Fi connected 24-7 and texting to their BFF. Yet again, I do constantly remind myself that it is this very same technology that has brought us to a multitude of discoveries, science, research, film, and the, of the various ecosystems and habitats that surround us in our wild world that provide us with new and stunning information about how our world works and the very deep interconnections between us and everything else around us. The high-tech volcanologists, geologists, biologists, and archaeologists measuring our Earth's geological systems from satellites, the archaeological and anthropological rise and fall of our species, cultures, and societies, and the least known of all yet, the zoological and biological nerve systems of our Earth's respiratory uh, system and health, the glimmerings of understanding of our climactic systems and its effects on both inner and outer Earth and all living things, from the large down to the micro and macro organisms, not to mention the benefits in groundbreaking discoveries in the medical world. Our wildness and wildlife heritage is well worth protecting, not just for the wealth of functionality and the knowledge we have yet to learn from it, but for the world's existential and aesthetic and enjoyment it provides. But that's not just for us. You can be sure other life forms that abound find places they prefer and proliferate to live in this biosphere. All other non-human beings that depend on the niches and landscapes that are not occupied by us for their daily survival. Sometimes they are far, far away from our places, but oftentimes they are right beneath our feet. We just don't notice them anymore. A large part of species' ability to survive, and what we often love most about wildness, wildness and wilderness, is the abundance of languages that exist to be heard by anyone that chooses to listen or watch and pay attention. This is otherwise known as behavioral studies. Music, tone, sound. That is our pre-language. Ms. Temple Grandin discusses this in many of her books and lectures, and there is even a TV show made about her. And you can also find this uh, discussion in the documentary film, The Science of Music. Before we had words, we had the universal music, the harmonics and tones our planet and universe makes. This is hard science, and the resulting musical instruments we have created result from this. Before we could communicate via language, we communicated via sound. Every harmonic resonates at a vibration, and these vibrations cause the harmonics next to them to vibrate. That includes every living thing on Earth, perhaps space too. The sand dunes in Namibia hum 
when they reach a certain temperature or when pounded upon by people or the hooves of the wild horses that live there. They've been testing these sounds. When harmonics vibrate, living creatures respond. Babies in the womb, when we train our animals, wildlife. It is not so much the words we all hear, but we certainly hear the meaning by the tone and sound. When your dog barks, 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 and you start yelling, yelling, yelling for it to be quiet, your dog is not necessarily hearing your words. He is hearing your loud barking tone and sound. Thus, as far as he's concerned, you too are making a loud and concerned barking. So he keeps barking more because now you're both talking the same language. An anthropologist would certainly be interested in this because just about all civilizations have had musical instruments, perhaps more about art in our modern sense, but it's really about communication uh, between people and people, animal to animal, earth to earth, and also on that primeval soul level, if you will. There are sounds in music that make us feel happy, good, sad, or frightened. And there are behaviors directly related to hardwired cortex brain functions, fear, rage, seeking, and panic. And these emotions make us respond in different ways. Animals have language, not our language, but it's been shown through studies they create sounds, worlds of sounds, otherwise known as words, to convey messages and even have same species, different colony dialects, to inform mates of novelty or things they know, things that are safe, safe humans or humans with guns. All animal and life communicates via harmonic vibratory sound and tone. Thus, it is critical that we understand the animal communication, emotional and hardwired brain function, to know what they are saying, as well as to know what we are saying to each other. If we humans can stop thinking in our own terms, then we will be opened up to entire worlds of language around us. And it looks like we're headed into another break, so stay tuned. I'll be right back talking a bit more about where the wild things are. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. 
follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Welcome back. We're talking about where the wild things are. And really what I mean by that is the wild things are all around us, whether we're aware of it or not. And it even is affected by what we do, the sounds that we make, our technology, our uh, inventions, our all the things that we live and survive with daily have an impact on the uh, wild world around us. Just as each of us are individuals, each animal is an individual within its own community. It has its own language, it has its own home, and it has its neighbors. And it knows each individual that lives with it. E.g., that hyena knows that particular lion. They have interacted before. They share land, space, and resources. Just like us, we must know our neighbors. We must know each other in order to maintain the peace, so to speak. Each animal within a shared environment of resources will know every other animal there, and that includes recognizing strangers, whether that stranger be another animal, a foreigner, or one of us. Communication, sound, is key to all of this. If we didn't have core emotions and if wildlife didn't have core emotions and language, we would not be able to either coexist or survive within our habitats or communities. Wildlife also knows us as individuals, as bad or good, depending on their experience of us. It is usually that we don't know them, either as individuals or as emotional beings with emotional lives, stories, history, and families and community. We look at a lion in the zoo or in the wild and say, it's a lion. It's just another lion. It's a different place, maybe, but still, it's a lion. Those of us who study particular communities of lions or particular communities of species, uh, flora or fauna, or elephants, or hyenas, or whatever, we know that X lion is not Y lion because of markings, mates, cubs, ear notches, all those identifying aspects of how we recognize individuals, not only between ourselves and between others, let's say dogs and cats, but between 
each other in the wildlife community. And believe it or not, our culture and our ethnicity have a lot to do with how we differentiate from each other and how we recognize these differences and in our observance of the world around us. Once we know an individual, like that coyote that comes to your kitchen door every day, or that fox kit that lives near you, or that mouse that seems to come looking for the dog food in your dog's bowl every morning, worlds of experience open up to the observer about each other, or in this case, that particular individual. It's friends and foes, it's relationships to its environment, habitat, and the world it lives in. All we have to do is be observant and pay attention. And this is really a very enjoyable experience and pastime once we've decided to stop, disconnect from the gadgets, and simply look around us at the magnitude of the things going on in our wild world. There is a growing understanding of how critical social relationships in context are for us and our non-human neighbors, the understanding of family dynamics and behaviors. Like us, wildlife has a social order. They have families, moms, dads, kids, cousins, sisters, brothers, versus a group of unrelated adults or packs. Think gangs or wild dog packs or captive animals that are put into groups. And when we come along and disrupt these dynamics through our bumbling and stumbling along, we have come to know that there are serious side effects to the health and welfare of these species and our own. Often, through our desire to manage our planet for the best use of resources for our needs, we end up manipulating the natural world without a full understanding of how, and then along down the line, we then see the long-term effects of what felt like a magnificent management turn and idea turn into a disaster. What usually happens is that we find out we humans have been asking the wrong questions or only partial answers focus too narrowly, often on lab results versus wild observation, so that we end up not seeing the many obvious and important answers that are right in front of us. Clichés exist because they are truisms. Every generation finds this to be so. You know that saying, the more things change, the more they remain the same? Well, despite the massive changes over the past 50 to 100 years, there continues to be, right now, massive cha changes happening on our personal cellular level, down to the inner Earth, to the Earth's surface, and cosmic and universal levels. Much that we know, and much that we are guessing, and much that we still have to learn. But it also seems, at times, that we have learned just enough to get us into trouble, but not yet quite enough to get us out of it. And that is the conundrum and the challenge and the crux, the pinnacle, the fence, the tipping point we are facing today. We are wound up in our short-term uh, immediate technology, and we are forgetting sometimes the larger impacts. I understand the scope is unimaginable. The scale is tremendous, but we do need to pay attention to the scale of beyond ourselves, beyond our inner world, and beyond our workaday world, because it is these things that we're doing on a daily basis that will have an effect on the larger scale. So let's start paying attention. There is so much we can do. There are so much that, there's so much that is being done. 
The best thing any of us can do is ask questions and work to find answers and at least on a daily basis not make it worse and to make an effort to find out what is happening and what we can do about it. Our wild world has existed whole and complete for millennia. The answers are there. We are a young and relatively inexperienced species in the whole scheme of things, and it seems that the more we go toward depending on our technology for the simple reason that it makes things easier for us, yet we are, on the cosmic scale, a very short-lived being whose footprint is becoming larger and larger than ever before. So large, in fact, it's beyond our scope to imagine and the impacts that we're having on things that really have nothing to do with our day-to-day lives. We've all heard it, the chaos theory, the butterfly effect. A butterfly flaps its wings in China and you have chaos and a hurricane in Florida. We are having an impact on our wild world and we need to pay attention to what these impacts are. And if the scope and the scale is beyond what you can begin to imagine or make manageable in your daily life, then focus on the small things, the steps one at a time, the grass median between your highways, the hill behind your house, the garden in your yard, and take a look at the wild things that live around you and understand that we are co-inhabitants of this fascinating place called Earth. So, as we head out today, making our livings, uh, recreating in our wilderness, or watching wildlife, or going about those tasks that will impact our Earth way beyond our personal lifespan or our personal day, uh, remember that wildlife is also watching us. Earth is responding to our impacts, and in a variety of ways. All you need to do is watch the news, uh, see the weather systems and the climactic change, and you'll know that things are different. Now, it's a whole different set to say whether I believe in climate change or not. It is not a system of religion. Climate is not a religion. It is a fact-based Earth system. It is changing. It's always been uh, flexible and in flux. It is not static. So climate shifts. What we need to understand is that our impact is having an effect. It has had an effect over the past 50 to 100 years. It's kind of impossible not to have an effect considering all the um, inventions, uses, and uses that we have made of our resources from the early days when we thought the world was huge and there were much, much less of us, and it seemed like resources were unlimited. But today we know we know that it is not unlimited. This is a globe in space. It is finite. And we should start thinking about um, our place in this and that how to use and behave and the etiquette of living in a finite world. We need to go about doing this in our relationships with each other, in our relationships with our friends, our family, our bosses, and our neighbors, and the wild things that live around us in our wild world. 
We should be aware of this as we are taking each and every breath every day, as we fill the gas tanks of our cars, and as we purchase our single-use disposable plastic or paper-to-go wrappers, as we shop the aisles of our big-box stores. Think local, act global. Be kind to your neighbor, and that neighbor is Earth. So once again, um, I enjoy talking to you. You can uh, always call in to our show at 866-472-5788. We're about out of time for today, but you can also send me an email at wildize at wildeyes.org and follow along with us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, you can visit our website at www.wildeyes.org and stay up on a lot of interesting things, um, sometimes what I call my soapbox, as I discuss other issues in terms of blogs and discussion groups such as LinkedIn or um, stay on top of uh, Voice America and the other shows and our previous episodes. It seems we're gaining a global interest for our wild world. We're up to over 8,000 listeners in 113 locations around the world. I can't tell you how exciting that is and how many listeners are engaged and paying attention and that things are changing. We are gearing ourselves, our human society, to start thinking about more than just us. It is shifting. We need a shift. We need to change the model of how we live on this world and understand that it's not all about us. So, uh, looks like we're heading out today. Um, I think into another break. So, um, give a call, one 472 and we'll be right back. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big. Scary. Beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. 
We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. Today we were talking about where the wild things are. And as you can tell uh, over the, it's the series of Our Wild World, I have a really good time coming up with ideas and uh, subject matters to talk about. And I find myself with a little extra time today for a change that rarely happens. So um, I'm just going to pop out some thoughts there that seem to constantly or continuously, not that I'm stressing about it or that, I, I do I am very concerned about the place our world is in today, and that is the point of this show, Our Wild World, is to help engage listeners and people around the globe to what we can do and to just think about some of the things that have changed in our lifetimes. So I'm just going to pop some thoughts out there. Uh, I've written these up uh, previous times. They're little bullet points, but they're just little um, things to maybe think about. We have become a populace of spectators. Once 9-11, when the public, upon 9-11 in the United States, and it had a global effect, when the public acts asked our nation's leaders, how can we help? How can we become engaged? Our politicians responded, go shopping. That is the ultimate insult to an intelligent person, let alone a nation and a world's, a planet's people. I think we, as individuals, can come up with a much better response. And uh, once we're given the truth and the facts to be able to understand and make choices and informed decisions, that we will make a difference, that we will go about changing those things that we need to reorient to live and make our world truly a better place for us and for the wilderness and wildness that surrounds us. So here's another thought. Since the Great Depression and rise of capitalism and corporate personhood, we, the public, have given over control of our lives to the public relations and managed by one of history's little-known men who probably had the greatest impact on our lives in the 20th and 21st centuries. His name was Edward Bernays. You know who that is? He's the son of psychiatrist Sigmund Freud, who took his father's lessons of the human mind and put it to work in the corporate world, capitalism at its greatest. Rather than what we do need, the business model he put into place for public relations and media played to our deepest fears and desires. He said, give the public what they want and who cares about what they need. All you need to do today is spend not even 15 minutes watching cable or television and the advertisements, the ubiquitous advertisements in between the meat of the show, so to speak. Look at what we are advertising and look at the nonsense that we feel we have, can no longer live without. How did that transpire? 
50 years ago, we didn't need plastic water bottles. We didn't need imported water from uh, virgin islands elsewhere. We didn't need single-use disposable plastic bags. We didn't need... Um, we didn't even have computers at, at that point unless they uh, fulfilled a giant room and could handle maybe one kilobyte of information. So look at what's changed. Look at the upside of what we're able to accomplish now with all the resources that we have and the limited and finite resources at our disposal and look at what we can do. We can reorient the way we live on this planet. We have lived without many of these things for millennia. So just because we have all this stuff does not mean we need to use it all, all the time, and that we need to get the next biggest, shiniest thing that comes out or is advertised in a 30-second blurb on the TV. In a capitalist society, which has its tenant to undermine democracy, it has untold effects. It makes you, us, me, the consumer, all-powerful. Every time you spend a dollar, you are making a choice for our future, a consumptive or non-consumptive choice. It is essentially your vote. You can vote with every penny you spend. You can vote to keep Monsanto in business by choosing GMO foods or choosing your organic or neighborhood farmer market. You can choose what kind of cars we drive by choosing a fossil fuel driven or hybrids. You can choose what kind of electricity and consumption we have on the globe overall by what appliances you keep plugged in on a daily basis or unplug. You can choose by the kind of packaging uh, that it wraps the things you need, the things we need. You can choose those that are wrapped in plastic that doesn't dis dissolve, doesn't decompose, or you can choose that with less packaging or green packaging. There are so many choices we can make every day that uh, we really should stop taking them for granted. Just because it's all ubiquitously there for the choosing along the aisles of our stores and on every street corner, it doesn't mean we have to just use it and decide later that it's somebody else's problem to deal with the uh, after effects. Did you know that currently we export our electronic uh, garbage and waste and plastics via shipping containers to China? China and Asia then recycle, take apart and uh, divide up the useful bits of our waste and the non-useful bits. And we pay a bare minimum price for this. So when we complain about working conditions in other countries, let's think about what we're doing here that has an impact and is affecting everywhere else. If you don't want to see it in your backyard, then we really should not want to see it in anyone's backyard. So it looks like we're heading out of time today. So those were just a few thoughts. I'd love to hear your comments, either on LinkedIn as a discussion group, post it on our Facebook page, or send me an email at wildize at wildeyes.org. <coughs> Excuse me. So once again, 
This is Our Wild World. I enjoy talking to you. I enjoy hearing from you. And I'll see you next week. So in the meantime, go out and enjoy Our Wild World. Thank you. This is Ellie Weiss. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.